Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the attitude of your heart as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. God isn't interested in religious forms. God is interested in your heart. The attitude of your heart is far more important to God than the actions. There are many people who are going through the right actions but have the wrong attitudes. And that's a sad condition. God is interested in the attitude of your heart. Of course, this is certainly manifested in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus speaks of the importance of attitude. To what purpose is the the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beast. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or in lambs or of he-goats. When you have come to appear before me, who's required this at your hand to tread in my courts? I didn't ask you to come, God says. Who invited you into my courts? They were coming. They were still going through the religious exercises. They were still observing the Sabbaths and the new moons and the feast days. But God said, hey, I'm full up with your sacrifice. That's not what I want. David said, sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, else I would give it, but a contrite heart, O Lord, that you will not turn away. This after his sin with Bathsheba and his and his 51st Psalm, Prayer of Forgiveness. Sacrifices and offerings, Lord, you're not really interested in, but the contrite, broken and contrite heart, Lord, you're not going to turn away. God is interested in the broken and contrite heart much more than you're bringing some sacrifice to him. We look at the evil of the church and the church history that gave the impression to man that he could buy the forgiveness of his sins. That it's all right just as long as you make a healthy contribution. You know, we'll pat you on the back and say, fine fellow, sit down here in the front row, you know. Got your name with a gold star on the, or on the window, crystal, you got your name over here, you know. You've donated. You're in good standing. It's been the curse of the church to make men feel comfortable thinking that because of their contributions at all that they're well accepted and God has an open-door policy. Not God's interested in the heart. God said, hey, I've had it up to here with sacrifice. I didn't ask you to come in. Who invited you into my courts? Who required you to come along? Don't bring me any more these vain oblations. Your incense is an abomination unto me. And the new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It's iniquity even in your solemn meetings, even in your sacred services. They're just filled with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are a trouble. I'm weary to bear them. 
Oh, how God is just so sick of the religious forms if your heart isn't in it. And when you spread forth your hands. Now, of course, this is in their prayer. As they would come to the time in the solemn assembly to pray, they would spread forth their hands to heaven. And God said, when you stretch forth your hands, that is in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Here God himself declares that there are certain prayers that he's not going to listen to. People who are spreading forth their hands towards God. But God said, hey, I'm not going to hear. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. God does answer prayer. That's the basic thrust of prayer. That's why we continue to pray, and that's our encouragement for prayer. But it is true that there are prayers that God doesn't hear. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear me when I pray. In the 59th chapter of Isaiah, it says, God's hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins have separated between you and God. Here God is saying, when you stretch forth your hands, that is to pray, and you offer your prayers, I'm not going to hear them, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Put away the evil doings from before my eyes and cease doing evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. So the things that God was really concerned about is that they would really seek an honest judgment that they would relieve the oppressed people, that they would give a true judgment to the fatherless and to the widow. And after this indictment against them for their sins, declaring the desolation that has come to their nation as the result of it, and of God's total abhorrence to their formal religious exercises without any heart behind it, he calls for them ready to repent, to cease doing their evil, learn to do well, learn to do the things that God wants. It is interesting that God didn't want the sacrifices, God didn't want the offerings or whatever that were being brought to him. He wanted them to start living right to deliver the oppressed. And so God said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God never challenges a person to take a leap of blind faith. The concept and idea of blind faith has been invented by those outside the church. It is not a scriptural term, nor is it something God has challenged any man to do. 
It is something that man is being challenged to do by the existential philosophers today. For the philosophy of existentialism has concluded that truth, good, evil do not exist on a universal base, that they only exist in the experience of an individual. And because we are all different, we must all then experience for ourselves what is good. And that if you live in reality, real honesty or reality is hopeless and despairing. And their net result of their search for truth has led them to hopelessness and despair. It doesn't exist. It is only relative as it relates to you. Therefore, because we as human beings cannot exist in hopelessness and despair, we must take our leap of faith blind faith, hoping that we might find something to sustain us when we land. No guarantees, but you've got to experience, you've got to take your leap of faith. And they start talking about the ultimate experience, the search for that ultimate experience. Take your leap of faith. Maybe you can discover it. One of the professors in Germany had so many students commit suicide that were taking his course, started interjecting into his lessons, we don't know that suicide is the ultimate experience. Now, it may be, but we're not sure of that. Of course, Huxley thought that the ultimate experience would be to die on a wild LSD trip. So as he was dying, he took a large dose of LSD. He thought that was the ultimate experience. It probably was. (laughs) Hopelessness and despair, but you can't live in that, so you've got to take a leap of faith into a non-reasoned religious experience. Now, that is why the Eastern religions, the mystics, the cultists, and so forth, are occultists, are so popular today. That's why some little <laughs> guru with a high, whiny voice can say, yeah, flowers are lovely and all this, you know, and, and everybody starts contemplating their navels <laughs> and start chanting their ohms. Because somehow, as they get into this transcendental meditation, They get into an altered conscious state that they cannot explain, but they have a sense of well-being and a sense of peace and tranquility. Can't give you any reason for it. It's just that I feel in oneness with the great creative force of the universe or something, you know. And, And that's why you see these kids with their shaved heads and finger symbols and their white robes and they're dancing and chanting because... 
they are discovering some kind of a feeling that they cannot explain. It's a non-reasoned religious experience, a state of altered consciousness. And that's what philosophy says we must experience. You've got to experience it for yourself. And thus you might discover what to you is relevant or meaningful or truth. But God doesn't say, take a leap of blind faith. God says, hey, come, let's reason together. God wants you to be reasonable. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Not a non-reasoned religious experience. God will give you a reason and a base for your peace. God gives you a reason why you're upset. A reason why there is the inner turmoil. A reason why there is that emptiness within. And God will give you a reason for believing and trusting. One of the areas where we have strong evidence that God wrote the book and that God knew what he was talking about is in the area of prophecy. God challenged the false gods in Isaiah 41 to bring forth their strong reasons by telling us something before it happens so that after it happens, we really know you're a God. Show us a sign, a miracle, a wonder in heaven or on the earth that we might wonder at it and know that you are God. Prove yourself. Give some evidence. Don't demand that we blindly follow you. Give some evidence that you might know, he said, that I am God. I'm going to tell you things before they ever transpire. Jesus said to his disciples, Now I've told you these things before they come to pass, so that when they come to pass, you might believe. It's to give you a basis for your faith. Not blind faith, to give you a reason to believe. So I tell you in advance the things that are going to take place so that after these things take place, you will believe. A reason for it. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And then God makes a challenging offer to these rebellious children who have sunk lower than the animals who are covered with bruises, whose hands are filled with blood. He said, though your sins be as scarlet. The word scarlet has as a background double dyed, soaked in the dye so long, dried and soaked again until the dye has permeated the very fibers of the fabric and it is impossible to remove. And some people are so steeped in sin that it has penetrated the very fibers of their being and sin has become second nature to them. You, by nature, are a sinner, but when it becomes second nature, you're in big trouble. I mean, that's a rank sinner. Second nature. You do it without thinking. It's just, it's, just your, it's just second nature to you. But even though your sins be double-dyed, 
even though your sins have permeated the very fiber of your being, though they be as scarlet, they may be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they may be as wool, again, very white. What a marvelous offer by God to sinning man. And this, of course, is the offer of grace. It's, you can't do it yourself. You can't bring it about by sacrifice, by offerings. God's sick of those. You can only do it by receiving the grace of God. Come now, let us reason together. Though you are in this terrible, hopeless state, I'll wash you, I'll cleanse you, I'll make you over again. If you be willing, that's the key. If you are willing. It has to be your choice. God is not going to force his will upon any man. For God has created you with the capacity of choice, and that would be totally meaningless unless he respected the choices that you made. So if you are willing and obedient, God said, you can eat of the good of the land, the land that is wasted and desolate and taken over by your end. You can eat of it again, the good of it again. But if you refuse and you rebel, then you will be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That's it. You've got your choice. Come, let's reason together. If you're willing, if you'll be obedient, you can have the best. If you continue to rebel, you're going to get cut off. Now, hey, with those kind of terms, it would be reasonable <laughs> to accept God's offer of grace and forgiveness. That would be the only reasonable thing under those terms. It would be very unreasonable to continue in your rebellion at that rate, to be cut off. And so God speaks of Jerusalem. How has the faithful city become as a harlot? Speaking, of course, in spiritual terms. The city that God had chosen, the city that God had selected from all of the cities of the earth to place his name there that the people might come to it to worship him. And yet they had established within the city the various groves and high places and the worship of the false gods of Mammon and Molech and Baal. It is interesting, some recent archaeological excavations that have been done above the springs of Gihon going up from the pool of Siloam and the spring of Gihon just above the two and heading on up towards the Temple Mount, recent archaeological excavations have uncovered the ruins of the ancient city of Jerusalem. Some of the houses that were there in Isaiah's day and on up to the fall of Jerusalem, they have found the ruins of the houses that were destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar when he did come in and level the city. And there are 
marvelous, interesting artifacts that they have discovered in these houses that were torn down and broken down by Nebuchadnezzar's army. And within the houses, they have found multitudes of little idols to the various gods, the pagan gods, confirming what the prophets were saying to the nation of Judah as they were warning of the impending destruction. Even as Isaiah said here, the faithful city has become a harlot because they've turned from the love of God, the true God, the living God. And as Jeremiah said, you have forsaken the fountain of living waters and you have hewn out cisterns that can't hold water. And so they're turning to these idols and to these other gods. They've turned, as God would say spiritually, unto harlotry. They've become a harlot. The city is full of judgment, righteousness once lodged in it, but now murderers. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 1 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and keep His hand upon your life. And may he help you to walk in all righteousness and holiness, for he is Jehovah our God, and he is a holy God, and he wants his people to be a holy people. That the name of the Lord would not be blasphemed by my actions, but that people in seeing my good works will glorify our Father who is in heaven. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come along on an exciting adventure as Pastor Chuck reads the story of the Ten Commandments to children. God wants us to keep the Ten Commandments, but we just can't do it. So Jesus came and did it for us. Featuring Pastor Ken Graves as the voice of God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. 
Honor your father and your mother. And Pastor Poncha Juarez as the voice of Moses. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And so many others. No, I will not let God's people go. Oh no, here comes the water. Go back to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to release my people. To order the story of the Ten Commandments book by Pastor Chuck, which comes with the audio CD as a gift, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD. Or to see a sneak preview of the book, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.